Welcome to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. So I have two interviews to share today. First is a visit with Chris Ozick, a New Haven environmental activist whose latest project is divining, removing invasive vines that are killing trees all over the city. He's on a mission. That's followed by an interview with Mark McBride, a commercial organic farmer for the past 20 years, and now the food service director at Mountain View Correctional Facility in Maine, which is both a minimum and a medium security prison. He brought his expertise to his new position with fascinating, but not that surprising, results. Stay tuned. Yeah, here we are. This is really exciting. Um, it's a gorgeous March, mid-March day, uh, unseasonably warm. It's about 60, and it's sunny, and it's beautiful. And we're surrounded by trees in Fairmont Park, which is a park in the far eastern uh, Quinnipiac Heights that I've never been to. So I'm here with uh, Chris Ozick and some other volunteers. We're talking about divining. So uh, this is Chris's project, and uh, I know Chris, oh gosh, I've known Chris for half your life. Uh, yeah. But but now Chris Chris uh, works at uh, Urban Resources Initiative where I serve on the board and Chris is always thinking up cool projects and this one is called divining and Chris I want you to talk about what it is and also mention how often you go out. So uh, I got started divining uh, 20 years ago because we were always working on small patch areas of you would remove the invasive vines, you remove all the shrubs, and then you would tag native stuff and wait for it to regenerate and go back and do some stewardship. And I realized a few years ago that if I only had limited amount of time, what was the most important thing to do and how could we cover as much ground as possible? And it was removing vines off of trees and specifically bittersweet. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. So when you drive along the highways in Connecticut, you see whole sections of forest being taken down. And usually it's patchy or edge forest that gets taken down because it has a lot of edge effect. That's where you have water, high nitrogen loads because all the leaves uh, are at that edge and they decompose very quickly, and sunlight. Once you get into the forest, you don't have that much invasives. And so it's all at the edge where people are that the invasives are. And so we have this opportunity to save some forest, sequester some carbon, provide great habitat for birds, and also make New England the gateway, uh, Connecticut is the gateway to New England. And it shouldn't look like states that are south of New York, right? We all know you travel along the highways in certain areas and it's nothing but invasive mats and so we should really be trying to protect all our forest. And so this is the one thing that I said, okay, I'm gonna go out every day this year. After watching the show, Octopus, My Teacher, where he went out every day, I said, huh, I really like that concept. So I'm gonna go out every day this year and remove bittersweet specifically, and then other stuff that I find along the way. 
and uh, and it's been really rewarding and I've really improved my plant ID in the winter time um, and I get to spend a lot of time thinking and and what could be better than that <laughs> so I also saw my octopus teacher and it was just amazing um, so you go out every day rain or shine or snow or sleet right this is That's like right. a commitment it's yeah, a, yeah. and um, so, and I've been out a couple of times. Is it a couple times already? Yes. Yeah, a couple times. Yes. And it's, it's really, it's, it's really fun. It is really rewarding. And you're right, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And now when I take walks, I see, I see the bittersweet everywhere. And there's a part along um, Lake Whitney that I walk and I see it along the edge of the, of the lake, but it's behind a fence, so I can't get at it. And it's really frustrating. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, just talk about where you go and, uh, and how many people have gotten involved in this. Yeah. So, so far this year, over 70 people have gotten involved and by Sunday we'll probably be over 100 because we have a number of events uh, tomorrow. And the, um, there's groups that have been doing this, uh, you know, that I was able to get started years ago. So Friends of Edgewood have been doing this for three years, every day, I mean, like once a week, all year round going and removing invasives but also picking up trash and doing stuff and so Edgewood is almost vine free which is pretty amazing yeah. it's a very big park but there were huge bittersweet vines in there and so we also identify new trees that are emerging tag them and keep an eye on them so that the new forest can come up now we're in uh, Fairmount Park and this is my neighborhood park but I didn't start this group there was already Sylvia and Peter and a few other people um, that were out here doing this this winter and I just happened to walk up and I was like oh I'm gonna join you and so I've joined every Friday and people like Tracy have joined every tri Friday and Nicole from Save the Sound shows up with uh, her two daughters every Friday and it's a great way to have conversations and think about what we want to do about the environment and uh, so I can't tell you how many people show up and they go, oh my God, this is amazing. And they come back and they come back and it's so much fun. <laughs> it really is. You're listening to my conversation with Chris Ozick about divining. Just one thing, talk more about when you said, you know, you liberate the trees. Like I, I was cutting these vines around the trees that were so tightly wound. I had to make clips like every few inches as I could manually unwind it from around the trunk. So what, what, is, what happens when you liberate the trees from these vines? Yeah, so, so the vines, uh, bittersweet in particular, it likes to climb up and wind around the tree, which can actually girdle the tree. Uh, and not so much at the bottom, but up about halfway up or a third of the way up, it girdles it and then a wind throw will snap off the top. Or it scaffolds out onto the branches and what it does is it weighs down the branches and the, uh, the, it drops seed loads so that you get lots of them coming up from the side and you'll see them twining around each other to get up. And they're quickly scaffolding up on the sunny side of the tree primarily, but they're just, it's like a, uh, the giant and the lily pushing uh, image, you know, just tons of these little vines pulling down and snapping off lower branches and then occasionally snapping off the tops of the trees altogether. But, wind throws because you have so much uh, uh, vegetation up in the tree when on a windy day it blows the whole tree over and because the vines are all connected tree to tree 
it'll take down a whole bunch of other trees or damage them in the process. And so just go and cut from about five feet to the ground and eliminate any laddering opportunities. Do not pull on the vines. You don't want to damage the trees. And so just creating that zone that you can go back and manage. If you're able to clip out that zone, it's much harder for, for the vines to reestablish. And, um, and then we allow people to go out and we do some identification so that they're feeling comfortable. And, we, and I just walk around and observe and tag trees that are native. And then at the end of the day, I do a little story. And so the story goes something like this. It's uh, basically, there's a person in a village let's say India, that has to walk a mile a day to go get water. And they have a stick with two buckets and they walk to the well to get the water, they were walking back. And the bucket, ha one bucket has a hole in it that drips water along the path. And all the other villagers are shaking their head and they're thinking, why doesn't that person just patch that bucket so that they uh, can have a more water and do less trips? What they didn't realize is that the villager had planted flower seeds along the whole path. And as they walked, they watered their path. And even though they had to do more trips, it was much more pleasant. And so my analogy for divining is, is that we can all make our world better. Whenever you're going out in nature, we all tend to tra travel the same paths and go to the same places. And so bring a clipper and a saw and do a little bit of intervention of invasive species along your path and you'll make your world better and you're gonna make everybody else that travels that same path a little bit more uh, a pleasing experience. Great. It's a great story. Um, and also just say a little bit more about how, I can see why it helps, you know, the trees and it, it gets rid of, you know, the invasives, which is a good thing in itself, but how does this address climate change exactly? Yeah, so, um, so trees sequester carbon, right? And so, and people often think, well, trees, when they die, they release carbon. And that, that's true, and some of it goes into the soil. But it takes a long time for trees to release that carbon. But it's a relatively short time for them to sequester it. So if we're able to get over this climate crisis hump by having more vegetation around, that will be really helpful. I did a quick calculation on, you know, like on a napkin, let's say, and, um, and I, it sort of came up with the average American uses the amount of carbon that one 20-inch caliper tree would sequester in a whole year. And so it helps people to un get a concept of what their own carbon output is and then the importance of stewarding our environment because that can actually be part of the solution. Wow, and, and when you say 20 inch caliper, is that the same as a 20 inch diameter? Uh, so it's, uh, yes. <laughs> Short answer. Yeah. Wow, that's, say, so, uh, say that again. One, uh, one 20 inch caliper tree will absorb the carbon. Oh, it would absorb the amount of carbon that a person uses in one day over the whole year that that tree is active, right? So we know that they're, they're asleep during the wintertime, but when they're active in their growing period, they're sequestering or storing carbon in their trunk, in their roots, in their stems, and the leaves to a little degree. And so when that is stored 
and the tree is healthy, it's not going to release it. And so, but if these vines take down these trees, then we're releasing more carbon into the atmosphere. This is Chris Ozick explaining the importance and the fun of devining. What we used to call a win-win-win. You got it. And, uh, and so what, what, what I'm also been thinking about, and we're actually raising money through uh, sustainable CT, patronicity U- dash, uh, backslash URI, is the idea that in, uh, in some of these neighborhoods, in what we'll call the more affluent or mi- middle-income neighborhoods, we have groups that are motivated to get out and do the divining and save some trees. But there are a lot of neighborhoods that need additional help. And so we work with Emerge, which is uh, people that have been previously incarcerated and are looking for job training and opportunities. And so we uh, plant trees with them, we do bioswales, but now we're raising money so that we can do divining with them. And what I'm really hopeful is that we'll get New Haven taking care of all its parks, that's great, but our highways you know, could, could hire crews like this to do this work, or the Regional Water Authority has 27,000 acres. And if you drive by the Water Authority properties, you can see that they definitely have a problem with invasives, right? So there's a lot of opportunity for green jobs in this type of work and forest management and making sure that the ecology of the place is more healthy for everybody that lives there. So do you, do you want more volunteers? Do you need more? And if so, what can people who are hearing this uh, do? I, I would like to say we all need more volunteers. And, uh, you know, in, in the vein of Alice's Restaurant, uh, let's make a revolution and let's get all of Connecticut divining um, and reclaiming our New England pride and, um, and having more connection with nature. I mean, everybody that's coming out is feeling connected with nature. And, uh, and so I think it's not a bad thing to, to have a lot of people at the party. Okay, and, and then just give, give that um, web address again if people want to follow up, if, if that's the best way. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, Urban Resource Initiative uh, at, at Yale uh, is our nonprofit that you could find the information from. And then the, uh, the campaign is through Sustainable CT, uh, Patronicity, backslash URI. Okay, great. All right, well, it is a gorgeous day here. And, and you said you, you tagged the, 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 the uh, yeah, not the invasives, the... the the natives. natives. You can see all the pink ribbons that are through the forest here? I do. And so those, those are to make sure that uh, the untrained folks don't accidentally take out something. Because this particular group is also working on burning bush. Um, so we're both taking out bittersweet and burning bush at this particular site. But some sites all we focus on is bittersweet. And we're really focused right now on shoreline habitats before birds start nesting. And so that's where I think the, the wintertime is really good to get into those type of places and then probably do more of the upland type of places uh, during the summer and mid-season. Well, thanks for explaining it all. Thanks for taking the time with me. Now let's get to work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Looking forward to it. That was Chris Ozick with Urban Resources Initiative. Next is Organic Farmer and Prison Food Service Director Mark McBride. I've been the food service manager for six years, and at that point, when I became the food service manager, um, I 
looked at trying to do some things that um, one would help us to have better food products, but also be able to save money. And I knew just the way we had uh, operated our home uh, and our children, we used whole foods and would break those down, use scratch cooking. You know, I've mentioned before to several people that it, you know, a lot of people go to, uh, they have children, they'll go to McDonald's or Burger King and they think it's, it may be fast and easy, but it's actually a misnomer for people to think that it's inexpensive. And a lot of times if you buy good food and actually practice scratch home style cooking, you can end up giving out a lot better product and still save money. And that's the approach we took. We got rid of things like liquid eggs, um, frozen liquid egg, egg product and got real eggs from a main farm. We ended up uh, getting all our potatoes from a main farmer year round to a point where we make all our own home fries, all our own French fries, every potato product or potato salads all comes from a, a whole potato in a 50 pound bag. And we process that down to what we need instead of purchasing, purchasing those types of products. We end up, I've reached out to a local dairy that makes cheese here in Maine and we purchase, um, products that are say test batches of a thousand pounds of certain types of cheeses that they're doing and then because it isn't sized exactly the way a chain might want and they need it just for sampling and things we'll purchase those uh, cheeses and in the last uh, couple years we've purchased all of our cheese from uh, Pineland Dairy Farms and all made with Maine milk and just a local producer here. And we've been able to purchase that at a price that's cheaper than what we would buy the American processed cheese food that really isn't cheese. And uh, so those type of things we try to do, we end up uh, trying to get things from farmers if we find out that they have a contract with uh, a local uh grocery chain and they need only a grade product than all those B grade products that might just have a scar or scratch. There's nothing really wrong with that product. They can't sell it. We've been able to pick that up um, at a very discounted rate and it helps the farmer and it helps us. And we do a lot with um, local foods, purchasing from local farmers, local producers. Um, and then our commissioner Randall Liberty has been very supportive of, agriculture and local foods and it's it's an initiative that he has been uh, supporting and encouraging throughout our system our governor has made a proposal to have an initiative that by 2025 institutions in the state would purchase 20 percent locally and before that initiative ever came to be we were already purchasing well over 20% right here at Mountain View. In fact, in the last couple of years, we approached 30%. So, Mark McBride, your approach sounds like it has contributed to economic development in the region. Now can you tell me about how the incarcerated men participate in this program? I guess you call them residents. Yes, we, um, they, they are, um, we have 
residents at our facility that um, are allowed to apply for different positions and we have paid positions with agriculture and in the kitchen and they're uh, they apply and we we talk to them they're hired and they can work their way up and they're you know they're trained in these skills and um, they do everything from planting to caring to harvesting um also started a bakery program when I got in as the food service manager so that now we produce all of our own bread, all of our own rolls, hamburg buns, hot dog buns, bagels, English muffins. We make all of our desserts um, 100%. The residents do all of this. They're trained. This is, there's a apprentice. They actually teach uh, and mentor their replacements for the position. And um, we've, we've had about at least 25, it may be a few more by now, but at least 25 of our kitchen staff that do this are actually out working pre-release at a local commercial bakery. Right now with COVID and the uh, situation that's going on, some of them, the work release has been shut down, but that's kind of the way it is in a lot of places throughout the country. But, but I mean, up until this and, and after this is over, it will continue. They, the, um, so it, it's been pretty neat to see that. You're listening to my conversation with Mark McBride, who is Director of Food Service at the bucolic-sounding Mountain View Correctional Facility in Central Maine. You said some people feel the residents don't get paid enough. Can you say more about that? Well, it's not. it varies. It's not like what you're going to get to work outside. I've, I've mentioned to people sometimes speaking at conferences and they're, you know, they feel that they should be paid the same as anybody else. But I've been involved in organic farming for a long time, main organic farmers and gardeners. And there are a lot of farms that over the past 30 years, people would get college students to come work in the summer at their farm as an intern. And over those years, I've seen a lot of people where, those college students that wanted to pursue an agricultural career would come and work for the summer. They would get room and board, get the training they'd work. They would get, you know, a few dollars here and there. And, um, you know, people would stand and applaud the fact that uh, these people were getting this opportunity. And then yet in the same time, if they find out that a resident, incarcerated resident here was you know getting two or three dollars an hour and a place to stay and medical and all the things and training and do it they would sometimes feel that that was inadequate but i can tell you that the residents are very appreciative and very thankful that they have the opportunity to to do this get this training and still be able to um save some money um for when they get out and this is just a stepping stool once they're trained they have the opportunity to go out and work in work release and some of those people are are making um, more more money in their jobs outside of uh, the facility in work release than even some of our officers so maybe the officers need a pay raise too 
So when COVID has been tamed, do you have any future plans for things you'd like to do? Well, we're just going to continue just, you know, trying to um, increase what we're doing and do even more educational. I have a, a position, a vocational uh, technical instructor that's been assigned to agriculture, and we're going to work on classes that would be um, even more intensively educational at the main state prison. Um, they work with cooperative extension and have training that goes on there. Um, there's beekeeping. There's a lot of things going on in a lot of different places. But as far as what we're trying to do, um, I guess there is a passion that I've had to try to be able to um, get to the point where we could actually have some type of a processing facility that we could take some of these B-grade items. And we do a lot of donation to um, food pantries, food cupboards, these type of places. We work with an organization called Harvest Now that donates money for seed, and we end up giving a portion of what we raise to um, these food pantries and food covers. And um, that uh, has been a great thing. The uh, residents always like to be able to pay back and give to these type of organizations, along with the fact that we can use these fresh vegetables, the difference that it makes in the diet for these incarcerated folks to have this fresh type of food is, um, it does a lot for morale and behavior, and that's very important. So you do see a difference in behavior and morale after getting rid of the processed foods and the sugar and salt and all that and introducing fresh fruits and vegetables? We do. I mean, I can't tell you. I've been asked, you know, do you track this? And no, we haven't. We're... Um, a lot of these things we're, we're working on just continuing to develop, but it hasn't really been tracked. But I know that we have captains that have worked for over 20 years here at the facility that would be the first and have mentioned it many times that when these foods are being given on a regular basis that everybody goes back uh, to their unit, to their dorm much happier and just a lot less likely to have any issues. It's uh, Food is a big part of incarceration. It's, it's something they look forward to or they don't look forward to. And in our case, we want to make sure that they look forward to it. That was Mark McBride, a longtime organic farmer and director of food service at a prison in Maine. For information about the kind of changes he's brought to the prison, visit farmtoinstitution.org. You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, global and local perspectives on the environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9.30 a.m. here on WPKN 89.5 FM. For more environmental news you can use. <laughs>